Welcome to part two of our chat with Christer Björkman, where we will hear about when he switched roles to the other side of the camera and tells us lots of revealing and surprising stories from his adventures working with the Swedish national final and Eurovision in Sweden and abroad. What really happened behind the scenes during these 20 years? Well, we all would like to know, and here he is again. After a national final with eight unknown artists, the Swedish television wanted to revamp the whole competition. And you got asked to be the talent coordinator. Is that the right title? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, to find 32 acts that wanted to compete in a contest that had Bet Carlson as his own Julius Caesar. How yes. did you end up there? I'm not really sure. Uh, but, I, but the story goes that. Uh, Johnny Alrup, who has always been the artist coordinator for So Mycket Bättre. Is that? Yeah. No, wait. Så ska det låta. Så ska det låta heter det. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. He, Swedish uh, entertainment format or program uh, that's been on forever. Yeah. He was asked to take this position and he said, I don't really think it's doable to do both of those two big projects at the same time. So he said, why don't you call Christer Björkman? He would be perfect for this. And that's what they did. Uh, so I don't think it's any more to the story than that, really. However, it was a better media story to say that, well, Svantes Doxelius, you know, he called, gave me a call. But that, that was not actually what happened. Uh, and Svantes Doxelius later became the head of the EBU between the years 2003 and 2010. How is your relation yep. to Svantes Doxelius today? I think, I mean, we have a really good relationship, though we never rarely, uh, very rarely see each other. Uh, because life has gone on and he's uh, he's uh, changed his focus. But we had so much fun. First of all, during that year when we did, you know, tryout project Melody Festival, which was we didn't have a clue what we were doing. It was just like learning by doing. And then, of course, he became the uh, executive supervisor and uh, during those years, of course, I met him every every time that it was Eurovision, since I was part of the Swedish delegation. And then I also became uh, a member of the reference group, where he, of course, was residing. So, uh, oh yeah, we 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 have a great relationship. He's fantastic. I love Svante. Your role in Melody Festival has evolved over the years, and when you quit this year, you more or less ran the whole competition for 20 years. And you have yeah. been called everything from a genius to a dictator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big words. Isn't it Big words. Both? Yes, I, absolutely. It's interesting because if you talk about a, a theater play, or you talk about a movie, there's always a director. You never ever question that that role 
And it's obvious that also in a project like Melody Festival, you definitely need someone who carries the vision, who is the DNA of something so big, because you cannot have too many people deciding because then you will never ever get a good result because everything will be a compromise. Yeah. So I believe that there has to be someone who is the soul of a thing. And that's the role I had and that's the role I took and was allowed to have. And which is, you, you can never forget that, that in the end, this is a project that is owned solely by SVT. And what they want, I executed. So yeah, sure, I, I could be both. I've done, I, I've done both those roles. I mean, yes, there have been uh, some genius moments when we have decided upon things that have had an outcome that's been great. There have also been moments when you just have to say, no, that this is not the way we do it. This is the way we should do it because otherwise we compromise the vision of this project. So yeah, sure. Some artists and composers have accused you of helping your friends and give them a VIP lane in Melody Festival. And this is something you have to had to have defend yourself against several times. And talking about it, I recall my conversation with Rickard Herrey, who told me that he first couldn't participate because you were best friends. And then you were not best friends and he couldn't participate because of that. <laughs> well, that's one opinion. And I mean, from his point of view, he probably has a, a valid point, I guess. But from my point of view, I've always, and I mean always, been as rigid with friends as with non-friends. And this has happened to a lot of artists that see us as friends. And I have sometimes said no, and sometimes it's a yes. Because in the end, it's always up to the song. Yeah. It's always up to the song. And if the song is not there and not good enough, it will never be accepted. And the second thing is, and you know this, it's not always right for an artist to participate, even though the artist itself has valid reasons to think they should be there. But an artist never really sees the sort of ups and downs of their own careers. They, they are too close to it. They cannot see that objectively. But we can see a difference from the outside that this year is not a good year for this person to participate. Maybe it's too close to another time they were there. Maybe it's too, you know, it could be a million of reasons why they are not. And then it's not good for the contest. It's not good for the artist. And we just have to feel with our gut feeling what and when and we have so many examples of that let's take two artists that in my point of view are sort of almost free from that uh let's let's talk about jessica anderson and magnus carlson those are two artists great singers great performers and for some reason they can almost be in melody festival and all the time
it, for some reason, people don't get tired of them. For some reason, people just feel that they should be there. And we actually feel the same. I don't see the need for Jessica to wait two years in between, for example, or, or whatever. You know, it's like, if the song is good, she can be on and she would be accepted by, by the audience. And this is very interesting because there are so many other artists that could not do that. There has to be a reasonable amount of time in between their performances. Otherwise, people will get tired of them and not vote. And we don't want that to happen. We want it to be, they should be there at the right moment, at the right time with the right song. So this is a puzzle. And sometimes that means that an artist who doesn't feel that, and obviously they don't feel that because they think they are right all the time. And then you just have to say, no, this is not your year. And we don't believe that this is the song either. So no, it's a no. And that has happened many times that that has been a friend. I would never, ever put a friend there if it would hurt the competition or the artist for that matter. How has it been for your husband, Martin Kagemark, who we have seen during the years in the house choir? I know, I know that he has sung on several demos that have been submitted. Has it been yeah. a dream of, of his to participate in the pre-selection? I think it has been the dream of everyone that has been on in the house choir. I think they all had the dream of becoming artists, and so did he. But he also knew from the moment that I started this job, he knew that he would not be able to ever do it. And I think that's something that he's somewhat sad about. I think he's accepted it. And I think he did that like somewhere around 26, 27, 28. And actually he just, yeah, that's the way it is. And that's the way it's going to be. And now, of course, he's, he's what, 46 going on 47. And he's left those dreams behind altogether of becoming a, you know, like a pop star or whatever. But he's an amazing singer. He's really, really, really good.
But that's, I mean, that's part of life, isn't it? It's you, you have to make, sometimes you have to just take decisions that, that rules things out. But hasn't it been really good that you could still do it together with him in the choir and you as a producer? Not at least for the, your legendary hotel room after parties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, however, I have to say that one of the things that actually was part of, you know, when we try to analyze what we did wrong, Uh, when it came to results in Eurovision, I mean, one of those things were actually the fact that we had a house backup singer group because we used that for almost every song. And what we learned from our competitors and colleagues in Europe was that to be able to reach a really good result, it's not enough to have a good song or a good artist you also need an act that is totally created for that specific song and it has to match the artist also completely so one of the things that we actually decided to to stop having was this entity of of singers to back up each and every act so uh having that said uh even then i had to take my husband out of work. But he got the honor to wear a taft of grass on his head in Roger Ponta's fabulous performance, <laughs> Silvand. <laughs> the inspiration for Elsa and Frozen. I love that. That is so funny. When I saw, I, I love that act, by the way. It's so, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and it's so funny. When I saw the drawings, when Roger Pontar and we met and, and he showed me the drawings of all these figures that he wanted on stage, I was like, ooh, ooh, who's going to break this one to, to, the, <laughs> to the backup singer? I was like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, so. I never said anything till actually the week of the contest and and Martin shows up after rehearsal in our room and he looks at me and said, did you know that I was going to be grass? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, did I never mention that? <laughs> he was like, no, you did not. But he actually also loves it. And I mean, when you see it on TV, you know, you don't really, really see it that way. You just see them as, I think that's a beautiful Eurovision act. You know, that, Absolutely. That's... Competing for Ukraine. Oh, I know. It's so Ukraine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And they look like strange beings. Mm, like Vesen. Yeah. Whatever that is in English. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I must Strange ask, spirits. I, I must suppose. ask, Chris, yeah. how many chumps have you been feuding with Bet Carlson during all the years? I have a guess. Oh, I, I oh, think it's man. only one time, but it's been going on for over 20 years. 
<laughs> but the, the thing is that, yes, many times, but he has actually disappeared from the radar from our point of view, at least I would say the last 10 years. It's more Camilla Bering, who is on at Warner and who, who came with him into Warner from Marianne Records. Yeah. She still gets her share of him, I guess, that he stopped bugging me quite a long time ago. But the first 10 years were uh, constantly going on. And of course, the, the, the most famous argument we had was about Aphrodite, obviously. Uh, and that was also really the door opener for me in this position, because I had this song from Marco Sobeda, uh, which he sang on the demo, and it was sort of an 80s... Yeah, we, we, uh, we played the demo here. We played the demo here. Oh, really? Surrounded by sharp looking eyes, dancing in a fever, forgetting all the words of advice, moving in and closer. Somewhere in that I heard the possibility of a, a really, really good disco tune for Aphrodite, whom I had had on stage that summer in, in the Pride Park. So that battle, when we broke up all these old customs of a publisher who got a song accepted into the competition, always put one of their artists on it, and the result was not always commercially perfect, you know. So he was, we were fighting so long over this and he wanted like a dance band. He wanted friends to sing the song. Oh, he wanted friends. That was one. He wanted Grön Vals. He wanted so many different things. I think he even said he proposed a group from Golden Hits. Valmans. Valmans he was at that time. And I was like, no, 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 it's not going to happen. You will not get your way. You will not get one of your artists. You can have them because they don't have a record company. So you can sign Aphrodite if you want to. But that's the group that's going to do it. And it ended up that he called everyone. He called Svante. He screamed. He was furious about this. And Svante just looked at me and said, go for it. You have the authority to do this. You should do this. This is the way to go for the future. We have to take ownership of who we want to place on a song. And that's, well, we, we all know what happened. And then two seconds after the result was announced in, in Globen, I tapped back on the shoulder and said, you need to thank me. Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're so good, blah, blah, blah. So it's been, but it's been fun. I mean, he's fun. He's fun to fight with. Yeah, I like him too. Uh, you have managed to get several big artists to compete, like The Ark, Army of Lovers, Katrina from Katrina and the Waves, Baccarat, Alana Miles, mm -hmm. Elena Paparizzo, yeah. 
E-type. Yeah. I could go on forever. But who has constantly said no to compete in Melody Festivalen? Um, hmm. Lale? Okay, with experience and with a lot of years behind me on this position, I've also learned that some you shouldn't even try because there's no use. But you can always say, and of course, there's always a door open for, and then you say the name that you are talking about or two. I mean, obviously, I would have loved to have Lale, as he's mentioned, or Timbuktu. Well, uh, you got him as a host. I know. Yeah. And I'm so glad. I'm so proud of that. It's uh, at least he's been in the building. <laughs> But the, obviously, there there are so many names. That, and I, I still believe that everybody, every established artist should do it once just for fun. Why not? It's not painful. It's fun. But who have you always said no to besides my sidekick Marcus and his compositions? Well, I'm not better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I mean, I haven't said no to to anyone. The jury has said no to quite a few. Shall we listen to what the world has missed out on, Marcus? Then, yeah, sure, all of them. <laughs> well, maybe. We have only time for one of all these 250 songs, something. Can you choose one, maybe? Absolutely. Uh, we can listen to the first serious attempt I made. Uh, it, I think it was back in 2004. Uh, I wrote a song together with uh, known composers Dan Atlerud and Martin Klavan called This Is My Song. Right, right, you artists that have been in the competition that they they just don't rock their boat you know yeah they have kept and i i don't really want to go into names here because it's personal and if if that should be revealed it should be revealed by them but there are uh, quite a few artists that constantly send in new songs never give up and the jury no matter what year and who's on the jury because that changes over the time And they have never, ever just liked it enough. It's um, it's really strange. Have you noticed an artist that regretted that they took part? Besides Noor El Refai, who hosted the contest in 2014. <laughs> no, not really. I, well, I, I can think of a few that would question why they did it. Magnus Ugla, maybe? He was on my mind when I said it, but... Thinking about it, 
After that, he did a big show on circus where he actually wrote a song about that, that everything is my fault. <laughs> and, and which is really, it was a really funny number. And it was actually, he gave me the blame for everything. It started out with him talking about his presence in, in the competition. And then it's, it just accelerated into that I was responsible for the wars in the world. And it was like everything. So everything is Christian Bjorkman's fault. That was the sort of take on the song. And I mean, you know, if a participation here can, first of all, promote his show, which it did, and then also give him an act to make his show good, I think that's, that's reason enough to be there. As good investigative yeah, journalists, we must, of course, check, is everything your fault? No, obviously <laughs> Can you not. take the blame for every war and stuff like that? Absolutely not. And I cannot even take the responsibility for everything in the Melody Festival. And it's, it's a bloody big teamwork. And it's a wonderful teamwork. So without all the fantastic creators and technical staff and, and you know, everything that's needed to make this happen, is definitely not all my fault or my credit either you know it's it's interesting when you when you start a process every year and you sit down for the first meeting when you have the songs you have the artists it's such a great moment when you just start with empty papers and you say okay how do we present this song what do we surround it with and and then everybody starts you know from the choreographers to the number producers to the multi-camera director and the lighting designer, they all come together and they create this vision together. That's beautiful. You know, that, that collaboration and that teamwork is, uh, is so special for this project. Can you reveal anything that happened behind the scenes during all these years that we don't know about? And we can talk about the question for the next hour, if you wish. Uh, yeah. <laughs> The thing is, it's, this is going to be a short one because I have the worst memory possible. Everything that we do and that we, we create and the processes, all that, once it's done, it's out the window. Yeah. It's like you cannot keep all of that in your system because you just have to move on to the next year. So I'm lousy with that. I'm lousy with memories. I'm lousy with titles, names. I remember the three minute, the vision of it, the outcome, you know, in, in the, uh, on the screen. Yeah. But apart from that, to remember anything, any details, any weird things. Oh, I have one from this year, mm. actually. You know the house that Danny had? Yeah. Danny Salcedo. Yeah. And we remember the phone number too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, 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 that was such a massive construction. And going into the first week of rehearsals into the annex, when we started rehearsing that the first day, it was just too big. It was like, you could not do all these turns because it was too heavy and it was too big. So dancers who actually physically moved this whole building, they came too close to the, to the corners. So they, you know, it, for security reasons, it was just not doable. So overnight from Thursday to Friday, 
they had to rebuild the whole house and they had to make it like a meter and a half smaller. And I mean, the whole construction yeah, yeah, had yeah, to be yeah, yeah. smaller. And that was done. It was done. And by came Friday and we rehearsed again, there was a new building. And that is amazing how the people who actually are behind the scenes could actually manage to do that. And also one more thing about that is that the, the, the group of dancers, they were also physically, I mean, two of them were girls and the three boys on their own was not entirely strong enough to actually move it the way it should be moved. So one of the dancers had to step out and give room for Benke Riedman, who was the choreographer and the idea maker of this. And he had to step in because he's a strong guy. So he actually had to be part of the act because of the physical resources needed to move the house. ago I made a mini series for our Swedish podcast Lagervännerna about rejected songs from Melodifestivalen that ended up like a maxi series. More than 2500 songs were sent to me from composers and we played snippets of around 600 of them for listeners during seven programs and 15 hours. Wow. And one thing I got to understand was that so many songs were sung by so many artists and later ended up in other countries' national finals or became hits outside the contest. Can mm-hmm. you reveal any songs that several artists fighted about and who tried them? Hmm. For instance, like, you know, the campy song En gång för alla that Branza City Släckers sang on the demo and later ended up with Nina och Kim. Yeah. a song titled Cheme Cheme Toi with you and Shirley Clamp that later Sarah John Finer sang a demo of titled Not a Sinner Nor a Saint that later yes. was given to Alcazar. Yes, uh, that was interesting because I mean my job as an art- artist coordinator was meant to be a one-off in 2002 because they needed my phone book basically. They, they, I was one of the few people, artists, that actually believed in this project Mm. Uh, and they knew that that could come in handy when we had to find 32 artists so after that my intention was to go back to be an artist and i wanted to continue on the route that i started which was to sing something in french and i had just made an album where shirley sang two songs with me where she sang in english and i sang in french we started with Bobby Jungren to look at the possibility of sending in a song to Melody Festival. 
So he started writing that song, and it was half English, half French. So the intention was that we were going to send that in to Melody Festival. However, then I got this call from Esfetir in, I think, July, during the summer sometime, when, when Thomas Hall had taken on the project after Slante had left for TV4. And he, he said to me that he had asked around and that everybody had said that if you want to build something around this, you should have Chris on board because he's a big, big fan of this and, and he took care of the artist and chose the artist last year. So we had a meeting and he said, well, I have an intention that not only to make this the best contest in, in the country, I also want this to make, to make this show the biggest entertainment show of the year. Yeah. And he said, I need to build a group around this and to, to be able to do this. And I, he said, do you want to be part of it? And at that point, I had to make a decision a little bit like we talked about before. You know, sometimes you come to a point where you have to decide, do I intend to now continue, you know, down the artist route or should I actually put all my effort into doing something totally different? And after a little thinking, I decided that it was time for me to actually do this because this was something that I didn't know before that I was was going to love. But I I noticed during 2002 that I absolutely, totally loved being behind the scenes and helping others and connecting artists with songs. And it, it was something that, that really, really got into my heart. So I took that decision and I called Bobby and said, you know what, apparently it's not meant to be. We should not do this together. Uh, we tried so many times and it's, it's just not meant to be. So you can take that song and, you know, rethink it. And because it's a really good melody. So good luck with it. I'm out. So that's what happened. And then he started rewriting it. And then, of course, I heard it in the jury room with Sarah. And she did a, a solely. Have you heard that? Yes. Tell me your destination. Could need some inspiration. Don't make too much of it. Now let's not analyze. This is a game with no rules. I won't commit to I do. All I can say for sure is what will be, will be. In tears of joy and lack of sorrow. Lack of sorrow. You know, it's a, it's a good demo. Absolutely. But she was not at that point willing to do the competition at all. So then we approached Alcazar instead. And the rest is history. I talked to Bobby Jungren on the phone some days ago and he didn't have the demo, sadly. Do you have the demo of Sheme Sheme Toi? No. I, I don't because we never did it complete. Okay. I only did, I think there was at some point a version of me doing the chorus. I did that, but I never think that Shirley even went into the studio doing it because it was interrupted before the whole song was complete. Okay. I only think we had the chorus. This was the autumn of 2002. 
that yeah. you that the one off became well it didn't became a 20 off then but retrospect it did which yeah. year would you say that you started to view yourself more as a tv producer than as an artist that was when there was a switch of multi-camera directors from Sven Stojanovic when he stepped down and Daniel Jelinek came in. So that must have been 2006. Because I was, I mean, I have enormous respect for these creators that work with this show. And for me to go in and try to influence their work too much, you need a bigger change in the group to be able to take that step forward. And you have to choose your moment very carefully because if you, you don't get more than one chance to get the respect. If you just talk and talk and talk and say things and you have no leverage doing it, you're doomed. So I was very, very quiet for many years when it came to that. I always went through Tina Matulesi, who was the sort of head choreographer. And I would go to her and say, what do you think if we would take that shot from that angle instead and the sequence would be that a crane and then a close-up what do you think of that and she would say that sounds really good and then she would bring it up and she would take it in the viewing room so i kept a very very low profile when it came to, to those matters that that concerned the creators out of respect for their trade. And only when that switch was made and a new guy came in, then I could step forward at that point and actually take a bigger personal part in it. Uh, so I would say around 2000 and it, yeah, it's definitely six because I, I was very involved with Carola in, in uh, Invincible. So um, yeah, but up till 2005, I did not see myself as a producer more than the the artistic uh yeah many songs have later ended up in other countries for example yep. in a moment like this denmark Wolves of the Sea, mm -hmm. Latvia Ground, Denmark 2018. Oh, 
Monsters Finland 2018, Miracle Azerbaijan 2016. You get in my head, boy, like a song that I kept on singing all along. But the radio stopped to play us long ago, long ago. Waterline, Ireland 2011. How many more do you think there is? Oh, many. I mean, it, and it's becoming more and more frequent as well because uh, we have so many talented songwriters in Sweden and they are sought after resources in a lot of other countries. So that's going to happen more and more, I believe. And to understand why that happens is that we always have to see to the full picture. You know, you need to have the right artist and you need to have the right mix. And if you, if you really boil it down and look at a certain, I mean, we, we have a goal to have all genres. It has to be spread in age and, and styles and all kinds of different artists to fulfill what SVT wants from this show. And that means that there's only room for like four pop songs with guys and four pop songs with women. So thinking of the amount of songs that we get in and we only get to choose so few packages, it's obvious that there are other good songs there, but maybe they didn't have the right package. Maybe they, they didn't even have an artist. Maybe it was a demo and that gives, um, it makes it very difficult, and it, but it also is good for other countries because they can then benefit from the, all those songs that we didn't have place or room to, to show up. Is the rumor true that the song Bones that competed for Bulgaria in 2019 was sung by Loreen from the beginning and was sent to Melody Festivalen? No. And if, if, it was sent, if it was sent to Melody Festivalen and it said Loreen on the demo, then it would have been the same problem. It would have been considered as a demo and then the discussion would have been, all right, so who would do this song justice? Yeah. And if they as a group couldn't figure that out and if I couldn't add anything to it, that means uh, it will be doomed because it, you really need to nail it to, to make it happen. I love beyond the it, and, and it is extremely hard to go through the selection panel and many bigger hits in Sweden were first rejected in Melody Festival. And I'm thinking of Oh Mama by Lilio Susi. Oh Mino Jonesson, Oh Mino Jonesson Hördes gång på gång Mino Jonesson Oh Mama can't you tell So 
sommaren är kort, det vi talked about before. Och värsta slagen mm. with Mark Olio och Linda Bengtsing. Sina chanser att vinna Kan man snå något från Abba Och se risken försvinna Så allihopa håll i hatten nu Här kommer höjningen till slut Well, best, best, yeah. Well, yeah. okay. The... My question is: Are there any songs that you regret today that you didn't let take part in Melody Festival? No. The, I, some songs are better off outside the competition. Bästa slagen where I was involved, uh, it was my absolute and genuine opinion, and still is. And I spoke to, to them about this and I said, you know, you should not do this song in Melody Festival. I mean, if you do parody. Yeah, parody. Parody, yeah. If you if you do that of something, you should not do it in in it. It is a much stronger, you have a much stronger case if you do it outside of the platform. So that was my my genuine advice to them. Do not submit this song because you should release this as it is and it will become a big hit yeah. but it's not necessarily true that it will become a hit if you do it in the contest because then people won't know what they sh- you, what are you voting for are you making fun of us that watch this and and actually vote or what who are you mocking so a clear message is if you stay outside of it you release it and you get that oh this should have been in the competition why isn't it so that that was uh yeah not taint beslut very very deliberate very deliberate and in very in very open dialogue with with uh, the artist several songs have been disqualified during the years i'm thinking of the songs from agnes carola fronda or anna bok or the song mm. helvete för sent that both Sara Lövgren, Mattias Holmgren, Q and Rickard Wolf tried out. Yeah. How has it been to disqualify songs? Um, that's always traumatic. I mean, it's it's not something you'd like to do. And of course, obviously, Anna Books is, is the worst example because it, it was not her fault. Uh, it was absolutely a, a problem created by the composers. Because when you send the song to Melody Festival, you have to sign a document saying that this song is cleared. It has not been released, it has not been used in any commercial. I mean, it was not her fault.
she was unaware of the situation that this song had been used in another country's competition two years earlier. And then, and of course, the the, uh, the composers claim that since they were only in the semifinal and it was only online and they were not on TV, they misunderstood, you know. So anyway, it, that, that that was a clear case. There was no other way to deal with that. We had to disqualify it because that it would have been ridiculous not to. So that was that was traumatic, and she was very very sad. So that 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 was that was bad. What else? Yes, hotel uh, vetivishen. That was a tricky one. We were not agreeing on the artist. It was um... the artist first was Matthias Holmgren. Yeah. Som en nedsolkad skjorta som en trasig medalj Som något som stod för något vackert men som tappat sin glans Det är för sent att rätta till, det är för sent att börja om, det är för sent för And later they let Sara Lövgren sing it Vad är han dåret, vad är blind, vad är förlorad Så var det för din skull Var jag barn som sprang bort mig i natten Så var det för din skull Jag borde gått när jag kände att hjärtat tog stryk Borde förstått att du behövde något mer Jag har förstått nu på lätterna trillar ner Men åt helvete för sent And after her, yeah. they gave it to Q Right But you were stubborn that Rickard Wolf should sing it Yes I thought that was a perfect song for him. And it went on and on and on. And one thing that I, they also sign, sign up for is that SVT has final say when it comes to the artist. Yeah. And they would just not accept that in this particular case. And I really don't know why they wouldn't. But sometimes it's personal. You know, sometimes you just don't like a sound. And that must be what happened with them. I, I'm not really sure. What happened was that they sent a letter to Richard Wolff that they didn't want him to sing the song. Yes, they did. Yeah. That was very rude. And you got furious. Yeah, because they interfered with the process in a way that they, first of all, it was very rude, very, very unpolite. And obviously he would then after that not feel comfortable doing the song because to, to go into something like that and you know that you're going to sit in a green room with a bunch of people that don't really want you there, that's not very, a very comfortable situation. So, yeah, yeah, I got furious. During the years in the Melody Festival and your titles have included artist coordinator, competing producer, producer, executive producer, part of delegation and head of delegation during the years 2002 to 2021, except 2020 when it was cancelled, of course. What do you remember most from those years? Funny thing is that the titles have varied, as you say, and they are usually just thrown at me like, and I'm like, yo, I, I don't know anything. I mean, I'm, I'm, I do what I do. And, and, Whatever you say I am, I will still do exactly what I do. So, yeah, sure, I can be the executive. Yeah, yeah why not? It's, it's okay. Or I can be the contest producer. Yeah, that's fine. You know, title is not something that really I pay any attention to because it's actually what you do that counts. 
But it's interesting because a lot of the work in TV is very much title. I, I noticed that here in the States where it's very, very rigid what you do and what, what title you have and, and what you're allowed to do. And here you cannot, you know, you have to be very careful here as opposed to in Sweden. If somebody has a problem somewhere, you know, you realize that, oh my God, he needs help to move that thing. I would not just pass. I would stop and say, can I help you? You can't really do that here because then you will have a problem with the unions. So you have to be very careful. You cannot step in there and be helpful and do somebody else's job. That's a no-no. So basically, uh, regardless if you have been a contest producer or executive producer or an intern or just a tuft of grass, you have done the work that's <laughs> needed to be done anyway. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually how it all started in 2003 when we were on tour and I was constantly upset in the viewing room because of the negligence of the artist's acts. And I, I, I mean, I was, you know, I was hollering and screaming in there together with Tina. This is not the way it should look. You have, I mean, you're not using the full potential of this song and you don't see the choreography here. You don't do that. What, what, why is nobody paying attention to the songs? And this is this was actually the tradition that we came into that this show was had one producer and that producer put most of its concern into the actual TV program, you know, the whole of the program, not necessarily seeing each and every act and the potential in each and every act, how they could be different from one another and how they could be helping a specific song into a specific mode or feeling. And so after 2003, that's when Thomas Hall came to me and said, you know, we, we actually need to put focus on the competition when it comes to creating these songs. So that's when he said that, okay, so from now on, let's have two producers, one for the shows that takes care of the host, the interval, the opening, and then you will be responsible for the delivery of all 32 songs. And so that's that started, that was the first time in 2004. And that was a result of that we felt that not enough attention was paid to the competitors. Hmm. So that was the first step to, towards the role that I then had. I'm thinking like this, despite the fact that your titles have varied all over the place, you, for all these 20 years, you pretty much, looking from the outside, has, have been the face of the entire competition. And yeah. you have been at the, the wrong end of all, any kind of criticism towards the contest. It's always your fault, people claim. Yeah. And they don't realize that it's an entire team that takes all the decisions. And you are not a total dicta dictator. And uh, has this been a role that you have taken on willingly to, to be the face so that the other people can work in peace? Or is it just something that has happened because you happen to be more famous than they were before? I think everything you say is correct to, to a certain extent. In the beginning, it definitely was because I was known before I started this. I came in as a former winner and an artist. So that in itself created the possibility for this process to happen. So that's the beginning. And then once we were in that, we felt that, okay, 
that could be beneficial to the project that it actually has a face, which it hadn't before, because we come from a period before of rotating between three cities, which did not give the possibility to have a face because there were like, in that case, it was three phases, you know, it was, you know, it was rotating, it, it was a problem. So yes, I think that it was intentional uh, when we realized that that happened. And then you just had to take the good with the bad, I guess. It was an advantage sometimes that we could just, if we wanted to announce something new, if we wanted to create a buzz around something, then it was good to have a known person that was the profile for the project. And then we also realized, as you said, that it is a good thing even when it's bad because that gives the production peace and they can, you know, they can continue to work on as long as I could handle it. And most of the time I have been able to handle it. There have been a few moments where I cracked, but they are few. And actually, I think it's only once or maybe twice that it was to a point where I felt, is it worth it? But you always come out of that because with the help of your, you know, good colleagues, they sort of, you know, mend you. Uh, and so you get the strength to go on. When was that? Well, you know, when, when you actually have like a three day in a row media thing, that's like, it's front page, it's two middle pages and it's all criticism and then they they do all these you know networks of connections and how that's done this is going way back but i remember the first time that happened and you know that it's going to be more tomorrow and then another day and you just feel like uh is this worth it is this fair and then you know your colleagues just look at you and say it means we've done something right otherwise they wouldn't care so if you can look upon it from that point of view, that you actually achieve something that is worth talking about for three days, then it's good. We must go to Azerbaijan in 2012. I know when Lorene participated yes. and later won the contest in Baku, she risked being disqualified because she loudly shared her political opinions about how that country treats the population. Yeah. Have there been any other incidents we don't know about during the years? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, no. Uh, the only two times when I have been called in to the office of the executive supervisor is 2012 because of Lorraine. And it was 2011 when Eric's glass cage did not explode for yeah. two consecutive rehearsals. But then it was called from us. We were absolutely furious. We had paid an enormous amount of money for those cages to be built in Düsseldorf, and not once did they work. He couldn't go into dress rehearsal not knowing the effect of the explosion, 
how he was going to react to it, how, how did the glass fly. It was ridiculous. He was a young kid. I mean, he was scared shitless of this glass. And you know, not knowing what it was going to be like, it's uh, such a strain on him. And so we were all very, very upset. And, and in the end, we got the extra tryout. They made it work in the end. They realized actually that it was due to friction. Mm. So what they did was they, they had it like specific area backstage for the props. And by going on that floor that was sort of rugged, the friction of that, the movement from where it was stacked to the stage actually disconnected the whole system. So they just had to move it. It was quite simple in the end. They just had to move it close to the stage. So they got away from that floor with all that friction and they could roll it up smoothly and it worked. So, I mean, it, the problem wasn't that complicated in the end, but they never could figure it out during rehearsals. Hmm. Several songs have been accused for plagiarism in Melody Festival and Eurovision during the years. Selmerlöv's little cartoon friend accused of that too. Oh yes, absolutely. And for good reason, I must say. The first little figure we had, once the attention was on that, yes, it, it looked very much like that artist from USA or Canada, I can't remember. Uh, so yes, that was that was tricky. But he was nice. I mean, that that artist, he was he was uh, really cool about it. He was not out for, he didn't want to create any trouble or he wasn't there for money. It was not that. He just didn't want his creation in this, be connected with this. Uh, but the only thing is that we can never use the Swedish footage yeah. uh, as such because we could not use it like promotion demo, which we usually do. Uh, we have a, from our final but that we had to make a lyric video instead for, for months and of course create a new figure. But I think it, that was for the good because we could add a little personality to the guy. He got a little chubby 
and you really liked him. You know, he, he became something. He became a personality that really, I think, helped the act. Yeah. The yeah, he looked like a friend. Yeah, he looked like a dear old friend. Yeah. yeah. What can you tell us about your trip to Ukraine for 65 days in 2017? Oh, 69, mind you. Oh, 69! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How much of a mess was it? Oh, it was a mess. Oh, God. Ha, oh, Shall God. we begin oh. with why was it a mess? I, I think nobody really, really knows why we ended up in that situation or why Ukraine ended up in that situation. But what happened was I was in Armenia in December on on their selection show as a jury member and i got a call from ukraine and they said could you pass by kiev on your way home and i was like yeah i guess i could and i was offered to be the producer of 2017 and i was like no i can't do that because i i do melody festival what i can do is i can come the day after our final and become the contest producer i could do that but I cannot be the producer for the full show. There's no way. So that was decided. So I took that on and no problems. Uh, that's usually how it's done. I went home. I told everybody, you know, all the other heads of delegation that I will have this position this year again. So bring it on. Yeah. Give me your, your ideas and I'll, we'll create a vision for you together. So that was it. So I go there on the day after the final. I, I moved to Kiev. And I realized that the show part is not like, it's not happening. It's like, and I was amazed that they had so little tucked in. And, and it seemed like Yamala was in every show. I didn't see Ruslana anywhere. I didn't see Verka anywhere. And it was just, you know, it was just odd. It was like, all right, well, that's not my problem, is it? So I, I'm there for a month and we are now in the beginning of, April and I'm called into a meeting on a Saturday with the executive producer and the other producer and Ula Melzi, who was the, the production manager. And he just tells this guy that I have no trust in you. I, I, I don't rely on your capacity or your decisions. I want you out. And then he looks at me and says, I want you to produce the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, wait, okay, wait. You know, the show is like four weeks away. And, uh, <laughs> and it was like, uh, all right. So I call, I make a phone call. And I said, okay, I'm gonna, I need to bring in some people here because I, there's no way I can do this on my own. So I called my dear friend and colleague, Anders Lenov, who I had done Melody Festival with earlier that year, who's on vacation in Norway. And I say, you need to come to Ukraine and help me out here. I need you to help me sort some things out. And he was like, so, uh, yeah, I can come next week. No, 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 no. I mean, now you, you have to come now. And he's like, yeah, but I'm on vacation. Never mind vacation. Just get over here now. So anyway, he comes over and, and as he says, from the moment he walked out of that plane, he was like in a tumble dryer, you know, it was like chaos unheard of or unseen in his life. So I think he went home for two days to just tell his family that I'm going to be gone for a while, you know, uh, that they need me back there desperately. So he comes over and 
in in those four weeks, we actually managed to we got Verka in. We we created a series uh, of, of BTS for the show with her. We got Ruslana in. We minimized Jamala's appearances to a minimum that she could accept. I brought in the biggest star in in Ukraine. I had I said, why is he not in the show? And they said, well, well he sings in Russian. And I'm saying, so? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're at war. Oh, God, you're complicated. So I called him into a meeting and I said, you know what? I want to have you as the opening act in the Eurovision. Could you please translate your biggest hit to English and have a chance of getting it released in Europe? Is that, is that fair? And he's like, yeah, I'll do that. Good. Your opening. And this is how it was done. He was like, we just did it. And when we sat down to do the first broadcast, it was, I mean, we were not even sure it was going to be TV. It was like, oh, it was interesting. But it was, it worked. It, and, and after the show, Anders and I looked at each other like, did we just do that? Yeah. Was it okay? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yes, it was. And we actually, 15 minutes before we go on air in the final is when we download the last version of the flag parade, the track. Ooh. Seriously. We had not even had time to listen to it because there were a few mistakes in the one that we had in the dress rehearsal during the day. So we had to do an adjustment and we just did not get it right before. So we were like, the, you know, the apes, the, the emojis, the, the, the apes with the ears and the eyes and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like that. We, we, we were sitting like, oh, my God. And it was like, I think it was two countries in the beginning of the parade where they didn't say the names. And this happened like maybe the third or fourth country. And it was two countries in a row. And at that moment, we so totally panicked because we, we didn't know we, since we haven't heard it. It could have been for the rest of the countries, but it was only two. And then it was back to normal. So that was like, oh, God, <laughs> that that was a strain that that was stressful. Oh, God. How many times did you regret there and then that you took this job? L like every day. <laughs> uh And like every night when I went back to the boat brothel hotel that we lived on. Oh, <laughs> uh, God, it was all. But having said that, it was in the aftermath. It's actually the reason why we're here. Because after that, that's when Anders started saying to me, we should bring this to America. If we succeeded in making TV out of that in Ukraine, we can do anything in some weeks. So he was like, let's just go for it. And I said, yeah, all right, let's go for it. You have worked on several of the more recent Eurovisions as a contest contest producer following the yeah. success of 2013 and 2016. Can you explain to us and the listeners what this job entails? It's quite simple. I have an initial meeting with each delegation. And it's either the head of delegation or If they have a creative director, some do, some don't. Some have a very clear vision, some have nothing. 
then you do basically exactly what we do in Sweden. I sit down with normally first the person who is the head choreographer responsible for you know the outcome on stage. And then we start creating a vision around this song, what we feel, what color it has, what temperature, what energy, and that that becomes also part of the running order that I create in the end. So I have I create a wall of huge post-its and I just put these uh, words on it, you know, warm, outdoors, uh, club, clouds, water, fire, whatever it is. And we put that and from that, we also start having these meetings called look and feel meetings. And that's when you gather all the creators in one room. And when we do that, we already have sort of a guideline for each song. So after we have created a guideline for each song, that's when we bring on lighting, camera work, choreography, the whole, you know, everything together and props. And from then, once we have that vision in place and we get it confirmed with the head of delegation, and sometimes it can be radically different from what they actually came with. Unless you have a country like Sweden or Ukraine or one of those maybe 10 countries that always have a very, very clear vision. They know exactly what they want. And then you don't, you don't argue with that. You just accept it. You say, good, you have a very clear vision. We will try to fulfill it. But then you have the others where you really, really have to put in an effort of helping them create something that is, and I have a very good example from Stockholm 16, where Bulgaria came with a creative team that they wanted, this was the time of the Hunger Games. And they wanted Paul, what, what's her name? Poliganova. Yeah, Poliganova, thank you. She was a brilliant young pop artist, had a really good song, and they wanted mountains and forests, and I, I just said to Joanna, who was the head of the game, I said, you know, that sounds like sound of music to me. It's not going to work. She's a very, very upfront modern artist, and we need to give her an environment so that song really sticks out to be modern. And I promise you, if you trust me to do this, I will give you a top five position. Please don't force us to do the hills and the trees and, and that. It's not going to do the trick. And she's alone on stage. We have to make that impression massive. So she was cool. She said, all right, I'll trust you. I'll, I'll try to deal with my people. And, and I don't know if you remember that, but it's, it's very far away from Sound of Music, what we did. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is. So the first, after the first rehearsal in the viewing room, her creative team was absolutely furious i mean they were all over the place and they were screaming and they were hollering so when i got there in the evening i had already had a call then from from Joanna, and she said you know i will deal with them they obviously they are extremely upset because i hadn't totally explained to them that this was going to happen but i trust you i think it looks really good and i'll deal with them so go ahead just do it and I come to the, the viewing room and, and for Matias, who was the manager in there, he was like, 
Oh, that was a rough one. I had I had a very hard time with Bulgaria, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I, I can comfort you. It's all clear. He's talked to me, so we're fine." And I think they ended up fourth. Yeah, which is one of their best results ever. And it's funny that ever since she has complete trust in you know whatever I say, she's like, "Yeah, go for it, go for it," and it's cool. So you can build a lot of trust. If you do it right, and this is that's the role. I mean, I actually either fulfill a vision or I create a vision for a country. From my talk with Polly Genova in this podcast, that you told me that you wanted to compete in Melody Festival, and because you thought that that was the best competition ever. Yeah, I know. I know she reached out actually to do that. I am not a strong believer in going between countries as artists, really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then, if you look at Estonia, I mean, they had Salen, and that worked out beautifully. So yeah. you never know. But I think our audience are not really willing to accept a foreign artist in our competition as a winner. I uh, I can I don't see that happening. We can't even accept Elena Babarizo. Exactly. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. But has there ever been someone who has been impossible to work with? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> can you elaborate? Well, yes, I can. Uh, I would say that an artist is never, never impossible to work with. You just have to level with them. However, there are team structures that can be almost impossible to work with. I mean, in Eurovision, it's normally the head of delegation or or the sort of the hierarchy of a delegation. You know, in, in Sweden, we are so used to a flat organization. Yeah. where everybody has their area of responsibility. And you don't interfere with that. It's like, that's what you do, do that. And you don't, as, as a head of delegation, you don't walk in and just, you know, step over people and just decide things for, because you can and because you have a title. But there are countries where the energy in the room is like so weird to us, you know. And... I have one story where this is in Kiev, actually, where we have one of these heads of delegation that is really, really the dictator of his group. All right. Yeah. And he, in in his opinion, he's more important than the artist or anyone for that matter. And he doesn't know shit about what we're doing. You know, it's a, but, but still he's, he's what he is. So he can say things. And the artist had, Let's see. The title was. Which year was this? 2017. This is. I'm in Kiev. I'm, and you, oh. you're going to figure out what country it is because of the story. Okay. But the story is something with light. I think light is in the title, or is it life? I can't remember exactly. But the funny thing is, it's it's in that area. Light, life. Let's say those are the two words we talk about. I think it's life. And so and and then at some point he says, This is ridiculous, you're not doing your job, 
we hate this why is there no light here and we're like what what do you mean there's no light here yeah but you have to emphasize the word light and the and the artist looks at him and say it's life you know <laughs> so he he didn't even know the title of the song I've been walking asleep dreaming away finding a bed but I don't pray I'm almost a sinner nearly a saint finding with just made such a fool of himself in front of the whole group from his country and us and it was like just yeah well karma that's karma to you uh, sweden has had really good placements in the competition since 2011 but the yeah. better it went the more hate sweden got what do you think yeah. this is due to and what way have you experienced this I, I mean, I haven't experienced it that much myself because don't do that in front of me. Okay. This happens on social media and I'm honestly very little on social media because of that. I've decided a long time ago to stop both reading and looking up uh, information about myself. Many, many years ago, I stopped that. So I just feel it. I know it and I'm aware of it and I feel it, obviously. But... Also, in some respect, I can refer to it from a fan perspective when I grew up, because the competition back then was ruled by UK, 60s and 70s. Yeah. They always had a hit. And to be quite honest, at least half of the times that they were second, which has been, what, 17 times or something, 15? I think it's 15. They've been second a ridiculous amount of times anyway. Yeah, yeah. And at least half of those, they should have won. But they weren't allowed to win because of this phenomena that you really, really, you can't tolerate that someone is so much better than everyone else. So I think it's a very human reaction, though the, the era of social media gives it a stronger take you know it's it's like it becomes meaner and more obvious than it was back in those days but it's always been there and uk has suffered from it and i think that's maybe why they still think that this is an effect that we don't like them but you know bad excuse because they send crap <laughs> but back then it, they really had a point because face it congratulations beg steal or borrow I mean, I could go on forever. It's like they have had so many brilliant songs back then that obviously should have been winning. But that's the way it is. And you just have to live with that. And all it takes, I think this year helped a little bit that we didn't make it to top 10. That's going to sort of slow it down a little bit, hopefully. And maybe now it's uh, it that goes over to Italy instead because they are doing very well as well. And now... Maybe the focus will be on Italy for a while. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But usually all it takes is a few years of no success and they are screaming for your success, which they did in the you know early 2000. I mean, after our really suffering results back then, everybody was like really happy for us in 11 and 12. 
So, I mean, it changes over time as well. And it becomes very, very boring if, if, we're, if one country is in the running to possibly win every year. And I mean, we've been lucky with the jury. So it feels that we've been sort of near close to winning like several years, you know, like John was there, Benjamin was there. So, yeah. We must talk about your new project, American Song Contest. Yeah. When, how and why? Well, the reason, well, why is simple. Because I really, truly believe that this could be an amazing competition for the American market. Uh, this country is full of music. I mean, literally every genre existing comes from this country. So when it comes to diversity in music, it is the place to be. Uh, in Sweden, we have to create it. I mean, we have to choose songs from different genres to, to make that diversity. Here, you get it automatically, depending on where you look. If you look to one state, yeah, you're for sure you're gonna get country. You look to another, you're gonna get urban hip hop or rap, or you, you know, it's, that's the way this country is. So that's cool. So I think it's a perfect program for this market. The reason why is actually, uh, to begin with, it's Anders Lenoff, who actually started pulling the strings and convincing me that we could do this. And then we added on Peter Setman, who is a really good salesperson when it comes to TV. So the four of us, Ula, Anders, Peter and I, we started a journey to first convince EBU that we were the right people to handle it. Once that was done, we did the, the fall of 19. We went here to, to meet with all kinds of production companies and we landed together with Propagate and Bob Silverman, who in fact has tried on his own to bring this over for 20 years, not succeeding. And he called us and said, you're not doing this without me. Could not live with this brand uh, taking on the American market and I'm not on it. So seriously, do not do this without me. So we had a meeting with him and, and his fire and passion for this is so real. So it was an obvious choice in the end. And then we started looking for a platform to, to, to do it on. And we had, I think, 11 or 12 pitches with different entities. And in the end, it was down to two broadcasters. And it was NBC who actually landed it. And that's where we are right now. So we are preparing. We are building the organization. And... It, it's a very different role because I here we are the executive producers. So we are in, we're not really, really hands on responsible for what's going to happen, but we are anyway. I mean, in our hearts, we are. So we do engage a lot in, in the building of this new entity. We are, I'm working very closely with the casting team who collect the songs and the artists and we're having a lot of fun it's big it's massive it's challenging and it will be on air in spring 22. Ooh, that's yeah yeah that's that's what i say every day <laughs> <laughs> and how many shows are and you I talking say, about a year uh it's a series of eight shows so it will be five qualifiers two semi-finals and a final. So you could you could say that it's sort of a, a fusion of Melody Festival and, and the Eurovision. But Krista, can you really compete in music? 
Of course you can. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you can compete in anything. Thank you so much, Kiste, for this extremely long conversation. <laughs> you can compete in anything and even in the length of podcasts. And I think we have a winner. <laughs> I, I think we have a winner. That's going to be hard to beat, actually. <laughs> This would be one of those like Bob Beeman world records you know, that stood for like 30 years. <laughs> Good luck in the USA and I hope we meet again soon, Christer. Yeah, we'll keep in touch. We'll we'll write little messages to each other. Yes, definitely. We'll do that. Assume that you will find your way into the Eurovision somehow. Well, I still have my prize, you know, the Marcel Besson-Son Award. That has to be dealt with, so I'm definitely going to come every year. And thanks to you, Marcus, who always helps me out, but never get to near the limelight like me. Well, maybe I don't have the same need for the limelight as you have, but (laughs) I I really, really enjoyed uh, participating in this way for the show for once. Great. And thanks to you, all our dear listeners of this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe and you can follow Eurovision Legends on social media like Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to contact us, it's better to email Emil directly at emil at schlagerevandena.se. And any information you would ever like, you can find on eurovisionlegends.se. And as we always say in the Swedish podcast, shooby-doo! Shooby-doo! Ha 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 ha!